Welcome everybody to uh, this episode of Mixed Messages, and this is a, a special one. Uh, so on this podcast, we talk about the mixed messages in our culture, and uh, whether they're coming from the internet or television or comedians, and then we're always looking for the heart and the mind of God. How do we kind of cut through that noise and uh, and see what Jesus really thinks and what he would have us to think as well? So it's a little bit of a change this week because usually Joe Caruso is our host, and he's kind of interviewing me, but I'm playing the host role, so I probably won't be that good at it, uh, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, but I wanted to take advantage of this guy being in town. So this is Newt Larson, if you've never met Newt before. And uh, Newt, you uh, pastored, how long did you pastor? 50 plus years? You kind of still are pastoring. It's even 55 now. if you count all that. 43 in the church in two churches and now 12 as a coach. Okay, and, and uh, Newt was uh, here in the Akron area, if you're here local to uh, uh, things. So you were here for many years. That's how I first met you, uh, was you were pastoring the chapel still. And, and uh, actually, I had you in seminary. You were one of my professors. So I've had Right, to... and I still have that one <laughs> that, that, that you flunked. I know, it was, it was a bad one. The Bible, the Bible, I forgot to say that. I kept saying <laughs> Uh, something else, but um, so new. You were uh, you were here in Akron for a long, long time. You've been married. You said you just celebrated your 60th anniversary. 60s coming up. 59 right now. 60 is coming up. You got married young. I'm 80 years old, so no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> in those days, it would be young today at 21. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So we, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to take advantage of Newt being in town. We're working on a, we work on a separate project together called Pastorpedia, uh, which anybody on the uh, the podcast can look up. And that one's kind of directed specifically at trying to help pastors. Um, but I want to take advantage of Newt being in town, and we had had we had had this conversation. Um, Oh, over a Zoom call or something like that about doing something about generations. And so Newt's 80. I'll be 50 here May 10th. Uh, cash and gift cards is what I really enjoy. <laughs> and then Josiah, how old are you? 22. 22. So we kind of have these 30-year gap. I can't hear you, Messiah. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk nice and loud That's for you. I love your name, Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That's more significant than I remember it being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, if you could just gently remind Newt who he is and where he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really helpful. That's, right. That's good. That's neat. And we're on a little bit of a time crunch because when do you have to be back to the home? Does the shuttle come at a certain time? Yes. First we get a bathroom break and then we go home. Yeah, in that order is the way we have to do things. So, um, so Josiah, you, uh, how long have you been in ministry? If, if you, we're going to quantify that so far in your young work, life. Work-wise, it's about five years now. Okay. Yeah. So you started, um, for everybody at Grace Church watching this, Josiah started as an intern. Yeah. You were 18, were you? Right out of high school, yeah. Right out of high school. And so uh, did his internship and now is a resident here mm -hmm. at Grace. And why don't you just tell people real quick what you're doing in yeah. your residency. So, so I lead our young adult ministry collective. Mm -hmm. And so anybody that's 18 to mid-20s, um, they would be a part of that ministry. And um, yeah, I mean, um, and you're married. I'm married, yeah. It was young for me, for my generation. We Indeed. Consider, Indeed. considered That's 21 cool. pretty young. Yeah. 
So, yeah, that's good. Um, so I do that, and then I lead worship on the weekends. If, for people that go to Grace, would probably know me doing that. Yeah, so. see you dancing around on the stage up there. Yeah. And so, and you tell us about your wife a little bit. My, she's wonderful, uh, and I can't, I try to talk her out of it. But. Yeah. <laughs> she fell for it. I'm too, I'm too charming. <laughs> that's how I'm growing this ministry. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, my wife, Sarah, is amazing. Um, she loves the Lord and was doing ministry uh, at the church for a long time and now does ministry at, at her job, too. So, but we really lead it together, and um, she's passionate about discipling people. And so, and you guys are coming up on a couple years two, married? Yeah. Two years married. You are coming up on 60. I'm coming up on 28. Uh-huh. Uh, years that I've been married and uh, <clears throat> and um, in ministry all these years. So I, th- I thought it'd be fascinating. We, we literally have three generations of pastors sitting here. And uh, I thought it would just be fascinating to, to uh, get a conversation going about uh, between the three of us about how the world's changed, how ministry and affecting people for Christ mm-hmm. has changed. Uh, most of the people that uh, listen to mixed messages are not pastors. Uh, they would be folks that are trying to reach people uh, and love people in, in jobs or at home or, or whatever realm they're in. Uh, but the world's a very, very different place. And uh, to, to see that change and understand that back and forth. And then one of my, one of my passions, and we'll kind of weave this into this conversation, is um, the, you know, there's always this idea that uh, a younger generation thinks an older generation's kind of dumb and washed up and irrelevant. And, and I think every generation has struggled with this. But as Christ followers, the scripture is so, so clear that you are not to have that attitude, right? No. That the older invests in the younger, the younger respects the older. And uh, passing this wisdom of life yeah. back and forth is like this really, really big deal. So. Uh, for many people, you've uh, maybe never seen this happen. Uh, you've never seen generations sit down. Maybe your family's been broken up or you've lost you know, uh, parents or grandparents along the way. And, or maybe you're, you're even older and saying, how do I talk to my younger uh, children or grandchildren? And uh, I just wanted to kind of model that a little bit because I, I find it, I, my relationship with Newt is very, very valuable to me. And um, here in Akron, but then you kind of retired from the chapel about the time I was coming on here at Grace. But I forget how long we had a, I forget if it was weekly or monthly, but I would call you uh, on a regular basis, just ask you questions about ministry and kind of glean that wisdom. It was extremely helpful. Uh, and then Josiah is uh, uh, very good about that too. He'll pick brains and things like that. But Newt, let's go back um, to the Old Testament when you started ministry. Um, I've, I've, I've always I longed for the coming. <laughs> yeah, I always wondered, uh, was it frustrating for you when Balaam went off the rails or how did that, did you guys play ball together or what was that? No, he wrote. He wrote. <laughs> he played water polo and, and donkey polo. Okay, so yeah. you just didn't know him that well. <laughs> but when you when you look back on, uh, you know, fifty five years ago when you entered ministry, the world that that you entered into, and and you were thinking about how do I reach people for Christ? What, what were the things that you were thinking about, or the challenges that were in our culture? What what was it like then? It was huge, and I didn't think about it enough, first of all, hmm. because the, one of the 
problems with the church was it it was in its own corner of the world and you stayed there don't smoke or chew or date the girls that do and we were two separatists hmm. and i was in a tight church in harrisburg pennsylvania wonderful people but tight about separatism so that was our i think the biggest cultural challenge and at first i didn't realize it talk about witnessing these people didn't have any friends that were not believers. So that was a huge one. And then I kid about don't smoke or chew or date the girls that do. Do you even know that saying? Oh, yes. I, I've heard it. <laughs> I say it a lot, but I add cheer for Michigan and that whole thing. Don't smoke, chew, or chew. But being in a, our own enclave was part of it. How to get out into the world. And then I think how to... Secondly, I, this is cultural to me, maybe it doesn't qualify, but that it was pretty much raise your hand and accept Jesus or go to Billy Graham or come forward in the church and accept Jesus, but it wasn't a, as much of a lifestyle. Those mm -hmm. were huge challenges. And the culture, so this is the mid to late 60s, early 70s? Yeah, right. The, 62, I graduated uh, from college, 66 seminary. 62, 66, where were you? <laughs> Non-existent. Where was I? Negative, <laughs> right. negative age. Right. Um, but it was a time of cultural revolution. I mean, the, the church would have been really kind of in the middle of it, not unlike what we are now. What was that like? How was that, how was that showing up in people's lives? One way it showed up was Ed Sullivan that night was going to have the Beatles on and at church, you didn't act like you were interested, but I noticed after evening service, everybody ran home <laughs> to watch the Beatles, who were a shock to the nation and a shock to our fundamentalist culture. Yeah. And how can this be? And now you hear the Beatles and you think, that's mild. The, the tame stuff, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of thing, and, and in, a, in a good way, infiltrating the people and, and not being again everybody admitted that all their friends were christians and they only had touch that's still a battle but it really was then yeah was the church um like well, i i see this happening now when we're in the midst of this we're in a cultural revolution it, it culture is always changing and and i is going to kind of naturally move away uh, from the things of the Lord because of our sin nature. But I would say here in 2021, we're in a quick and fast cultural revolution right now. People, was the church uh, scared? Were they resentful? Were they judgmental? Were they compassionate? What have their attitudes have been? At worst, we were proud. Okay. To be not even thinking of election and all the questions of sovereignty, to be elite almost. And, and at the same time, I want to say this quickly because I have a lot of criticisms. The people loved me. My, my sister died of tragedy at teenage. My parents divorced. The church helped us. Yeah. But it didn't help them. They yeah. didn't know what to do. They knew how to help kids or, you know. But... In those days, we didn't think through enough. How do we get to the unbeliever? Mm -hmm. it, was, it was how do they get to us? Sunday evening, Jeff, Josiah was called the evangelistic hour. 
7.30, Sunday evening. Can you see all the neighbors who aren't Christians running to church? (laughs) But even then we pretended. Yeah. And uh, so that hurt us so much. It hurt us so much. And so when when revolution came in and and people wrote about being honest, I remember the book, uh, I forget who wrote it, but about being honest at church, it, it was shocking. Mm-hmm. At church, you were always pleasant and happy. And so some of the changes have been wonderful. You know, it's interesting, the church I grew up in, uh, now I would have been a child, so I was born in 1971. So I would have grown up, say, a, a decade later in, in that church environment, kind of like you described, wonderful, loving people, were trying to be faithful to the Lord and they were doing what they were taught. Pastor loved me, cared for me um, when our family went through difficult things as well. But, but it was interesting. Um, uh, if I had a problem or a struggle, the last people I would ever tell about that is the people I went to church with. There, there was a demand that um, you were okay because you love Jesus and somehow that made your life problems go away and it kind Sing of and smile and pray. Yeah. You'll drive the clouds away. Yeah. <laughs> so why why don't you write songs like yeah, that? Yeah. You guys have a rhyme for everything. Is that, <laughs> is that a part of your generation? <laughs> it's true that clouds always left when I smiled in the good. When uh um when I became a pastor in the early 90s, um, I think the big question that the unchurched and the rapidly dechurched were asking was, what is the relevant position? Why would I do this? Why, why is the church relevant? Why would I be involved with it? And, it, and it's stuffy and old fashioned. And so as I came out into ministry, um, my uh, goal was to make Jesus uh, make sense to them, and that meant make it relevant, make it inviting, get down that fortress mentality, and that's what the unchurched generation was looking for. When you think about the unchurched generation, um, it's hard, it was hard to motivate the church to reach them, but what questions do you think they were asking that the church could answer if we were if we were able to reach them how are we able to do that why shouldn't i smoke or drink or date the girls that no they what what's in it for me was a question we didn't answer enough and i don't want to exaggerate it's frustrating to say it out loud the gospel was more come into this club raise your hand, accept Jesus, come into this club, but not not a whole new life. It was for some. My grandmother is the best Christian I've still ever met. But it was still a separatist fortress that, that pretended we affected the world and we mm. didn't. That's good. Josiah, when, when you look, so, you know, from, from me to, from new to you is almost 60 years, yeah. right? So here you are, you're coming into ministry. Yeah. And uh, when you look at your generation, you look at the church, if you're looking at uh, how am I trying to grow and equip the saints, the people that you're leading in the college ministry, yeah. and then 
your generation? What questions are your generation asking? What, what kind of stuff comes to your mind with those things? I, I think it, I mean, the question at the end of the day, I think everybody has, I don't think is unique to any particular generation, is, is, is what is my meaning and purpose and significance? Um, I think what's hard about uh, my generation is we've had that answered for us in so many ways that don't work, but it's answered for me. You know, my, my meaning is these relationships, or my meaning is this image, or my meaning is this thing or that thing. Um, and, and so that, that's what people really struggle with. I, I think what's hard, um, I'm very thankful for our church. I'm very thankful, I, I feel very honored to be sitting with you guys because I, I'm very thankful for how you have led the way and I feel like I get to do ministry on your shoulders, mm -hmm. you know, of, of all the things you fought for. And I'm proud of our church that, that I get to work at because I feel like I know that if I was at other places, we would be fighting different battles. But because we're here, we get to focus on the gospel and evangelism and reaching other people and, and uh, discipling those people. Um, I, I think the, the problem, the disconnect that's happened with my generation and um, religion and Christianity is not understanding how the gospel meets us where we are right now. So you talk about don't smoke, drink, or chew. I think that's very real still. Or it's like when you think of what religion is, you think of it as like a set of moral codes on the conservative side. Or on the liberal side, it's like my vague connection with God. You know, like I feel spiritually in tune with the universe. The conservative side has, you know, they, they just, I think they like religion because it gives them answers about certain things and you get to be right. Um, and be elite. And, but I think on the liberal side, you get to say that you've connected with God and you don't really have to do anything. And, but ne neither of those transforms your life. You know, you, you read the story of Jesus interacting with these people, um, like the woman at the well, and she like is so excited about what that interaction was that she goes and tells you know, her whole town about it. And you don't see that happening very often now. Um, so, so I think the, the biggest thing that... Um, we have to fight and have to figure out how to continue to do is um, let people know how Jesus dying on the cross, like the, the idea that we are saved by grace and grace alone, somehow figure out how that affects how do I interact with my gay friends <laughs> or how does that uh, affect my view of Black Lives Matter or how does that affect me at my work and how, probably the most important question, uh, how does that let me sleep at night? You know, when I'm staying up late because I don't know why I exist, and I'm very contemplative of um, that I might be completely meaningless. So I either just not going to care and do whatever I want, or, you know, some many people get suicidal because of that and depressed because mm -hmm. of that. Um, allowing that Jesus loves me so much, that is my identity, and it has very little to do with moral behavior, although it certainly transforms it. It's fascinating is listening to you guys talk because... Uh, you know, a generation ago, if you're looking at the late 60s, early 70s, the question of, or the, or the tension of, I don't know what to do with my life, uh, would have played out, that tension would have played out in a rebellion, mm. almost. Like, I'm going to rebel against the system, and I'm going to have long hair and smoke pot and those, those kind of things. <clears throat> a generation later, that same question often plays out in anxiety mm. and in yeah. depression because the there is no system to rebel against. Like, right. 
like I'm going to do those things. It's like, well, everybody does those things. So right. <laughs> what's the what's the point? But there's still this longing, right, right. to to be connected uh, to to God in a meaningful way. You you um, so like Josiah, you would you would say like you feel like you're standing on my shoulders. I would look at Newt and say I'm feel like I'm standing on your shoulders a lot of ways. Um, we happen to pastor in the same city, and the the uh, uh, the echoes of what you led and built here in Akron uh, still reverberate all in a positive way all the way through Akron. And so um, I think of that too. Like I, I, um, I feel real convicted when God looks at the church, he doesn't look at local churches, he looks at the church of the city. And so the, the church of Akron uh, is something that God used you and others, obviously, in, in very strong ways. When you, when you look at that and you, you see um, God working, what, when you were trying to make Jesus make sense to a generation, you know, in the 60s all the way through the early 2000s, and even today, just as you're, you know, following Christ, what worked? Like what, because some of this is not like in the 80s, we had to do it this way. And in the 90s, we had, because these, these needs are the same, yeah. you know. So whether you're pastoring or you're just going to work today, you know, kind of a thing. What cut through all of that and got to the heart of people that, that you found was appealing to them? Yeah, and that's a good question. And it, I don't think that's changed. It's still authenticity that you live it and really live it and, and that was true back then mm -hmm. you knew who you didn't know but a lot of people just played church and found refuge in doing the right things and mm -hmm. I think I get tears in my eyes when I think about how God used me because I'm not sure why or how first but secondly I do think what worked was loving people and mm -hmm talking sense and real instead of cliches mm -hmm. I can do cliches but and then living I still picture it this way living with Christ this way instead of uh, raise my hand I, I I did learn what it means to live in Christ I didn't always do it but I do know what that means and so I think what worked even in my life were the authentic people which included my grandmother and a few people at church, and it still works. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I uh, I would actually answer that question that way too. Um, it was my parents, Bob Combs, you others, like where, where you're seeing this lived out in real time. Uh, I would have. I wrote a book years ago now called "Living Naked," which was literally that. Yeah, I didn't like the title. <laughs> yeah, I know, but <laughs> well, boy, did it there. start lots of conversations. We love the title. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with you. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was it was uh, getting away from this superiority thing or the club mindset, and you know the. Jesus living with sinners, him dining with the yeah. tax collectors and the prostitutes, that that 
uh, view of Jesus made a lot of sense. And it sounds like that's what you're experiencing as well with things. It's crazy. I mean, like, the, the, the guys that would go to collective know the story I talk about all the time is Jesus interacting with a woman caught in adultery. And I, I, that story, I think God used that story to impact my ministry in a very deep way because I think what a lot of people assume is the first thing you need to do is get rid of your sin. And when you get rid of your sin, then you can join the elite, you know, and be a part of the club. Um, and so it, it, that becomes really hard because it's very easy to have all these views about sexuality when all of your friends are straight. And it's very easy to have these views about diversity when all your friends are white. You know, like, it, but our, our generation is so mixed with all, you know, we, we, don't, we don't get to have a club really, you know, and so you have to deal with all these people. And, and reading a story of Jesus um, interacting with a woman in the worst moment of her entire life, like committing, you know, one of the most taboo sins. And the first thing he does is he protects her. You know, all these people are going to stone her. And he puts his arms out and says, absolutely not. The second thing he does is he says, I don't condemn you. You know, so he, before anything, he says, I forgive you. And the very last thing, the very last thing he says is leave your life of sin. That's the last thing. And it's, it's looking at the life of Jesus and not, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to all of us. I think that cuts through straight yeah. to the heart that Jesus loves us. It's never been about the morality. The morality will follow, <laughs> and it certainly gets you on the right path. Um, but that's not the gospel. Yeah, and even understanding that that Jesus's and the scriptures uh, call for morality, sexual purity, those kind of things, are acts of love on His part, right. not acts of control or condemnation. That. You know, I talk a lot about, because um, it's, it's, it's very, very close to my heart, that the gospel of Jesus does not start with our sin. Mm. It starts with Christ's love. Right. The, the, good, the, good, the good news is not wink, wink, bad news. You're a sinner and going to hell. The good news is Jesus loves you and came to rescue you and ransom you. And that conversation is different. And then sin, your sin playing out differently. Yeah. Um, is no different than my sin playing out in different forms. We both need the same Savior, right. you know. And I suppose probably um, probably in the late 60s, early 70s, and even when I started ministry in the early 90s, there was a still a bit of a you-should-go-to-church-on-the-weekend <laughs> cultural norm, sure. you know, Easter, Christmas at least. You wouldn't have any of that no, in um, your... You need to get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Attendance has been dipping. <laughs> fill, up, fill her up. Yeah, fill, fill her, up. her up. Yeah, Yeah. so that's changed a lot. And even, even in your uh, generation, Josiah, the, the, the opposition to the church is different. So, so there yeah. would have been a, a little bit of a social pressure here in new generation in my generation there would have been an indifference right in your generation there's a, a actual opposition like right. being the church and calling people to christ you're starting in a deficit which is funny because it what our generation wants more than anything is to know how to be the most loving people that we can possibly be and the gospel answers that but these fake cliche gospels don't right. and so all the rebellion is against I mean, there's certainly people that are going to hate Jesus' message. We, we know that. And we've seen that. Um, but most of the opposition is against false gospels to begin with. 
but we don't know that they're false gospels, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I, like, I'll tell guys all the time, if, if the gospel, if you don't have a, a faith in Jesus that meets you in your pornography addiction, you don't have the faith in the Jesus for who he is. If you don't have faith in Jesus, um, if your faith in Jesus causes you to ostracize uh, your gay family member, you know, so, so we're like rebelling against something that's false to begin with. Um, and we just want to know how to be loving. And Jesus defines what love is. Many people don't like how he defines it. But I, as we're teaching and as we're discipling, teaching people and showing people Jesus' love and compassion that combats sin but leads people to life and life to the full, I think that there's a lot of magic in there. Newt, uh, when one of the heartbeats of an older generation is that the younger generation would listen and learn, and I mean that with all the right motives. Like, uh, as, a, as a father, as a grandfather, you would look at your children and grandchildren and say, if you could let me give you some counsel, I could protect you, I could mm -hmm. help you avoid some pain, those kind of things. If you were going to say something like that to myself and Josiah, uh, what counsel might you give that you would, you would hope that a younger generation would, would hear from you? You know, it's a great reminder of what the center of the message is. And part of it would be to understand the gospel, which over energy, any part of the world or generation we wish, we wish we could say better or show better. You're doing it who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. I, I don't think some who identify with Christ even know what the cross means or hmm. the loving Christ that you just talked about. That would be a big part of it. And then take the, every generation has its baloney and its, its bad traits, no question, mm -hmm. I do. But to take who Jesus Christ is and what it means for our daily lives and stay with that because I appreciate how you speak of the past we, a lot of good came in the past right. a lot of good comes now a lot of good comes with our mistakes but Jesus would would fit in every one of our cultures every one of our generations mm -hmm. he'd sit down at a meal and it wouldn't be like oh this is another world he he lived right where we live right and I think when he made a carpet, when he, when he was a carpenter and made a cabinet, he didn't go, when Joseph wasn't looking, make a cabinet. He, <laughs> he was a real person. He walked on water, but he also had to learn to swim. I, I just think to see him as in the magnificence is every generation's call to get above the norm, to understand who Jesus is and what it means that he lives in your life. I, I just think it's so refreshing to hear Josiah. Is it Messiah or Josiah? Yeah, either one is fine. <laughs> Talk about Christ. And, and I must say, without apology, that there were people in my generation who really lived for Christ, too, and yep. in every. And we must see that and then talk about who he is, because he, he loves each of us. Mm -hmm. He cares. He, he gets us through the hard times. I. The gospel, that's what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I, 
I would kind of sitting in the in the middle now because I guess I'm middle aged, although I am way past the middle of my age. <laughs> so, but I fall into this vague category. It's only by comparison. Yeah, people don't think I'm going to live a lot longer than I'm going to. But um, if I if I could speak to both generations, I I would say to an older generation. Uh, see yourself in the younger generation. I don't think people's hearts or problems change at all. No. I think the way that they present change. And uh, I think uh, an 80-year-old can easily understand a 22-year-old by simply seeing their humanity in their heart. Mm. Uh, even though they're going to, you know, they're going to struggle with their sexuality. You struggled with your greed. It's the same sense, you know. It's mm. it's the same heart that's removed from God. It just plays out differently. And I actually, what I often say to older generations is, you actually have an enormous opportunity. Um, you have a often you have a home, uh, you have a kitchen, and you have a willingness to uh, build a relationship you can reach a college student hmm. uh, because what uh, what the younger generation is missing more than anything are parents right. and if you will step into that role and invite them in there actually is a, a trend right now of gen wires which Josiah would kind of be in living roommating with baby boomers and they love it because they're missing that wisdom gap and they long for it and want it. And that is in the church. And uh, if, if an older generation can look past the presentation yeah. and look at the heart and get it, give an invitation, um, you might be surprised how that's accepted and interacted with. And then if I, if I was like talking to your generation, Josiah, wh what I would say is um, that the things of the past were cutting edge in the past and were done with the same heart that, what, that you have, yep. right? So that music and that program is old, you know, those methods change, but the passion was exactly the same, you know, the... Uh, as a pastor, Newt's trying to was trying to figure out the same thing that you're trying to figure out, you know, and if and if we could find that wisdom, I think the scripture would say to to every one of a younger generation, what what we do is we glean wisdom. We don't glean methods; those are unimportant. You know, it's unimportant. You don't you don't use the same tools uh, 50 years later that you used 50 years ago but you build the same thing, right? So you use the methods and the philosophy and the heartbeat, especially of scripture. And these guys, I, I can say personally, in my relationship with Newt, he, uh, you shortcutted me through pain and frustration <laughs> by just listening. And, uh, and then what happened as I learned and we maybe became more peers what I needed uh, from you and you give freely is affirmation, right? Like, no, you're, I think you're thinking right. Um, I don't really understand your social marketing, your social media marketing campaign, <laughs> but, but wanting to get this message out to people is exactly what you should be doing, right? So the, the methods would all change. 
And so I, I think if like generationally, that's a big, big deal. And by the way, that is very foreign in our world yeah. and it very much reflects the heart of Christ. And so it's actually a, this weird um, evangelistic opportunity to help Jesus make sense. Now, Josiah, if you were talking to a middle-aged guy, but I want you to remember I'm your boss. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a really, really old guy. Yeah. My, secu- yeah. my security's on the line right now. Talk loud. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, well, first, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I don't feel like I'm, you guys have so much wisdom that it's crazy for me that, to be asked that question. But I think first, I, first, I would want to say to my own generation before any of that is that we need to listen and learn. You know, I, I, there are, have been plenty of mistakes done in the past, but like you said, plenty of good. I think throwing the baby out with the bathwater is perhaps our biggest generational mistake that's happening right now. Is that because just because somebody did a bad thing and a good thing doesn't mean the good thing was bad too? Um, I I think the if I was talking to the older generation, not you specifically, but um, I, I think the biggest thing that we need to hear that my age needs to hear is if the gospel isn't as um, easy and as light as Jesus promised it to be, it it's false. It feels false. You know, I, I, one of the most defining things um, for our ministry early on was my, some of my friends, we were doing a Bible study in the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians is just all about um, don't add these extra burdens mm-hmm. to following Jesus. You know, if, at their time it was Jewish law. For our time it's American culture and, and uh, Christian legalism. Um, and then you read the book of Acts and there, the, the church um, apostles are meeting together trying to figure out what is the least amount of requirements we can ask of these people? How, how can we get it so it's so tangible and so accessible that they can understand the love and not be overwhelmed by moral commands? And so that's probably what I would say to the, the older generation is like, hey, let, let's boil it back down to the gospel. Jesus has died for your sins. It's not your job to worry about your sins. It's your job to follow after Jesus. Mm-hmm. He'll take care of all of that. I think if I uh, was talking to yours and, and you know this, but um, one of the big things that um, we are longing for is a church that's bigger than services mm-hmm. and a church that's bigger than experiences. And so um, I think you have done the grunt work that we needed of making church relevant and church meaningful, um, but it can't stop there. Right. You know, that for, for me, for, for me and my f- unchurched friends, like walking into a, a building that's relevant is not impressive. It's a baseline expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, when, right. I, when I go in the Chipotle, I'm not impressed that they're playing young music. I just assume, you know, this Chipotle is where young people go. So that, that's not impressive. What's impressive is a community that actually loves each other. What's impressive is a church that actually reaches people. Mm-hmm. What's impressive is, is a rich man that actually cares about the inner city and mm-hmm. takes care of their needs. And so um, that, that's what I would say is, is let, let church be awesome. Continue to like figure out how to make those. But the church that Jesus wanted wasn't this all-impressive service. It was a community of people that really yeah. loved each other. That's good. That's good. There's a, a guy that wrote an article recently. I thought it said it well. Uh, don't just put all your attention on the stage, go to the table. And he's saying the same thing mm-hmm. about personal relationship. Yep. Hmm. And, I, and I actually, um, 
I think COVID, uh, Newt and I were doing a, another discussion with this Pastorpedia thing I was telling you guys about earlier, but COVID has accelerated and amplified that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a, um, what, what COVID did was expose the limits of technology mm-hmm. as far as building relationships. And so, um, and I, I actually think that was really healthy. Uh, because we can we could easily throw those real relationships off into the internet world somewhere, um, but really what we need is that personal discipleship, that personal investment, that walkthrough. So maybe this could turn into a wonderful gift. Yeah, I think I think so. I, I really do. I, I think I have a buddy. Uh, his name's Chad Allen. He said it well. He said, "Covid calls your bluff as a disciple," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "That's really really good," you know, and and. Uh, trials and persecution purify and electrify the church all through scripture and uh, as North Americans and I'm actually grateful for this uh, we haven't gone through hardly any of that (laughs) and COVID and cultural change is not the hardest trial that the church has ever faced I don't want to overplay it but it's a good one for us you know and and uh, it will it will purify it calls your bluff as a disciple, but then it electrifies for every for every challenge that is thrown up. There's opportunities, and if God is sovereign and He is, and this is His ultimate will and design, and it is, then instead of being frustrated with where He has us, it, when I'm frustrated with where God has me, I fail to see why He has me there. And so to rest back in that sovereignty and say, God, why did you put our culture here? Why are these changes going in? And when you do that, you'll see the opportunities that are that are um, cultural and generational. So, well, I want to thank you guys for being a part of this. I- well, thank you. It's great to to hear this younger generation. I know that's appealing to you as a father, but oh, yeah, also as a much. pastor. And- to all of us, he said, my yoke is easy. What in the world does that mean? It, it has to mean something really good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's good stuff. And, uh, and I, I would I'd tell you guys, like this is, you know, we've talked a lot of ministry and pastoral things, but when you guys are thinking about this, uh, think about your kids. Think about your grandchildren. Uh, think about the kids at church, but think about the kids at work. Yeah. You know, you take take a young person under your wing, get to know them, uh, sit with them at lunch once in a while. You know, and 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 don't just separate out. And and uh, right now, like kids will say, there's always some version of this. You did it, I did it, Newt did it back uh, with with uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. Um, but there's some version of like you're an old person. Receive that with a smile, mm-hmm. tease them back, and build a relationship, you know, and, and give give yourself away. In the workplace, help them to become a better professional. Uh, invest in their life, care about their life, and, and, and you will be sharing the hope of Jesus with them. So I love all that. So, well, thank you guys. This is Mixed Messages. Thanks for thank being you. a part of it. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode.